All right, everybody get together now. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Oh, gets me every time. But it didn't almost happen. He almost quit. Uh, November 8th, 1975. Some of you remember that date better than others. I don't remember it at all. November 8th, 1975, Rudy has a chance to take the field. It was the only time in his entire career that he actually got to play on the field. And, and after this incredible year, incredible years of commitment, uh, he had decided that he was just going to quit, that he wasn't going to be able to go back out on the field. And he got to play two snaps, and one was a sack. To this day, he's the only person in Notre Dame history uh, as a player to be carried off the field. His commitment was there. It was extraordinary. And yet he almost decided to quit. And what is true there in the realm of the universe of games and plays is true of those who are followers of Jesus in the church. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you recognize exactly what that feels like. You have, uh, you have given years and years of, of committed service. You've followed, you've read the Bible, you've, uh, you've come and listened to countless numbers of sermons. And yet as you walk in this morning, the sense that you have about you is just a desire to stop. You just want to quit. I was talking recently, actually, with a guy that I went to school with. He's a pastor out in California. And I was asking him about his church. They've, ex they've experienced extraordinary growth. And, I, and he was talking about the number of baptisms they've had and, and the number of people that are just deciding uh, to become followers of Jesus. And I was applauding that and beginning to ask him some questions. And he, he said, you know, in the process of all of this, yes, we've experienced some, a tremendous growth, but uh, sometimes we have to shut the back door. And what he meant by that is, yes, people are coming to follow Jesus, but uh, there's this other group that just continues to find the back door and a way out. They're, they're quitting their commitments. Maybe you've come and you're disillusioned or discouraged or disappointed with people in the church. Now, several weeks ago, I stood up as your preacher and I said, it is a privilege to be here. It is a privilege to be your preacher. It is great to get to know you, but given the opportunity and a length of time, I will probably disappoint you because I'm not Jesus. There's still sin a part of my life. There's still areas of my life that given the opportunity, I would probably disappoint you. Just ask my wife. And so maybe it is because uh, you've come to the church and there's people in it. And you've recognized a, a disappointment in them. And you've said, I, I'm thinking about just stopping, of quitting, of not coming back anymore. Can I remind you of the words of Jesus? This church is not a building but a people 
And Jesus said of the people, I've come to help the sick, not the righteous. I am one of the sick. Maybe you've come and and you have uh, uh, begun to think about quitting. Maybe you're a teenager. And you uh, face the kinds of things that teenagers sometimes face at school. Uh, You see, you're here on Sunday morning and we applaud you. You desire to to have this ongoing following with Jesus, but Sunday it's way easier than the rest of the week. Like tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon when you walk into school and there's the cafeteria and you're going to sit with your friends and they're going to use language that maybe you don't want to use. Or maybe they're going to ask you how you spent your Sunday and it revolves for you uh, something around what you did at church that day or with church folks that day. And you find yourself uh, engaged in persecution that maybe some of the rest of us can't quite begin to understand. And you begin to ask the question, why should I stay? Maybe I should just go away. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe since the point of your baptism, when you walked down into the water and and you were cleansed, and in the water, God did something amazing to change you from something old to something new, and you walked out and you felt just clean. Maybe life from that point has just been hard, and it has been a rough road, and you've begun to ask the question of God, God, I... If this is what the Christian life is like, uh, why do I stay? And so you're asking as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you're looking outside saying, maybe I should just go. Why should I stay? And maybe you came in this morning and you're not even sure about what I'm talking about when I'm talking about following Jesus. And maybe you're asking an entirely different kind of question. Maybe you're asking the question, why should I come? Why should I enter in? I want to encourage you this morning that you are not the only people in the world to have ever asked those kinds of questions. In fact, in our text this morning in Hebrews, as we look another chapter along in this, in this series called Strength for the Journey, we find that there's other people at another time that have faced very similar kinds of questions. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 7 today. If you're using a Bible in the pews in front of you, it's around page 840. You see, there is this Jewish community. There's this Jewish community, and they've become a Christian community. Uh, They've said, we're not going to adhere to all the rules. Instead, what we're going to pursue is this relationship with Jesus. And they've begun to experience well, what it's like not to be a Jew. You see, in, in Jewish tradition, in fact, in many traditions with religion are literally around the world. 
if you're a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim, and you decide to become a Christian, you are dead to all the people that you leave behind. If I am a Muslim and I decide to become a Christian, I am dead to all of my family members. That means brothers and sisters and friends, my social network is now gone. It's going to affect my business because people aren't going to come to my shop to shop anymore because they recognize that now I'm a Christian and not a Muslim. And the same was true for the folks in Hebrews. You see, they had decided not to go about practicing being a Jew anymore. They had decided that they were going to be Christians. And so to those outside, they were saying, well, you're dead to us. Uh, Ladies, this means for you that you deeply desire to take your kids on a play date. And you call your Jewish former friend up on the phone and you say, hey, why don't we get together? Let's get the kids together. We'll go down to the park. No, I'm sorry. You're dead to me. Click. Uh, This means that, gentlemen, when you have your business downtown, and it was thriving before, now none of the Jewish friends that you had before you were a Christian are coming to your particular business, and it's beginning to make an impact on the bottom line. It's because you've decided to follow Jesus. And you're beginning to ask yourself the question, why should I stay? Why should I come? Uh, Hebrews chapter 5 really begins in this way. Verse 1, every high priest, let me just stop there. How many of you have encountered a priest, a high one? I think sometimes uh, when we think of priests, we think of a guy uh, dressed in black, right? Uh, Maybe has a robe on. Maybe he's got one of those white collars, right? Are you with me? Uh, I've had encounters, many encounters over the years with various numbers of different priests. When we talk in Scripture about a priest, this is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the guy that that is going to step into the confessional and hear what you have to say. In Scripture, what we're talking about is not someone who is uh, dressed in black and wears a white collar. Uh, We're talking about a representative between us and God. Notice the next couple of words in verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God. In other words... uh, He's talking about a spiritual broker. I need someone who is going to represent my account before God. And so when Scripture begins to talk about a priest, and in fact a high priest, he's saying uh, there is a go-between, there is a bridge builder, there is a broker between me and my relationship with God. I need money on account with God, and I need someone to keep track of all that for me. That's what they're talking about when they're talking about a high priest. Now, here's the part that might be difficult for some of you. Maybe you grew up, and this idea of a priest is really hard for you to grasp. Maybe you grew up with a Catholic background, and and there were some priests that weren't very nice to you. Let me encourage you to the position of Scripture. Everybody needs a priest. 
Everybody needs a priest. Again, it's not the guy in black with the white collar. Everybody needs a high priest. In this case, he's talking about Jesus. We need someone who is going to be able to represent us before God, who's going to keep money on account uh, with our relationship with God. Now, uh, here's the problem. In the whole ancient part of Scripture, there were high priests, people. They were appointed from God to do a job. Now, here's the problem with people. We've kind of covered this, haven't we? What's the problem with people? They're sinners, which means they have all been in rebellion against God. Notice verse 3 in chapter 5. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. He's talking about this high priest. This guy that is supposed to be representing me before God has to take care of his own stuff because he messes up too. Oh, which means uh, that in the whole realm of Scripture, he has to continue to offer sacrifice day after day, time after time, in order to try and be a good representative before God. And it's not working. So you have to have ongoing sacrifice. Now, as we work through this text, we have to realize in answer to the question, why should I stay or why should I enter in? We stay and we enter because Jesus' way is better. I know that may sound simplistic, but, but gang, uh, Jesus' way is simply better. Uh, allow me, if you will, uh, listen in as we just walk through the text and recognize how Je Jesus is better. Go over to chapter 7. Uh, flip over to chapter 7. There is this story there, and it's a story of this crazy priest who wasn't really a priest at all. His name is Melchizedek. We're just going to call him Mel. So there is Mel, the very first verse of chapter 7. This Mel was a king of Salem and priest of God Most High. Now, there's only three occasions in all of Scripture where Mel comes up. In Genesis chapter 14, uh, Abraham is gone and he's defeated some kings and he's come back and there is Mel. And he gives him some bread and wine and then suddenly we have we have. Mel offering a blessing to Abraham and Mel receiving a tithe offering from Abraham. And as the story unfolds, what we recognize is that before Abraham was, there's this Mel, and he has some sort of reverence that when he walks into the room, Abraham bows his knee. Now, why is all that important? Because if I'm a Jew... And I'm thinking about contemplating not being a Christian anymore. If I'm thinking about going back to the Jewish way of life, then I have to recognize Abraham as the father of all things. You know? Like we, we go to VBS, right, like every year. Like Janelle wants to get up here right now and sing the song, right? <laughs> father Abraham had many sons. I should have you all stand up and sing this. 
So why is it a big deal? It's because it's Father Abraham after all. And what he unfolds in this text, if you look uh, beginning in verse 4, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. And the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people. That is their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. And so he's saying, hey, uh, this guy didn't come from Aaron or Levi. And yet somehow Abraham is giving him a tithe. Abraham is bowing his knee to this guy. Keep going in the text. Notice what he says. Verse 6. This man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi, yet he collected a tenth and blessed Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Skip down to verse 9. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Mel met Abraham, Levi was still in his ancestor. Meaning... He was just an apple in the eye of his daddy. That's what he's talking about. Mel was before Abraham. Here's what it all says. Jesus is the better high priest. Jesus is the better representative. He was before Aaron He was before Abraham. He was before Levi. He's even of the tribe of Judah. And they're not supposed to be priests, but here we have Jesus who was before it all, and he is the ultimate better high priest. Uh, Look at verse 16 in chapter 7. I love it. Talking about Mel and Jesus. Verse 16, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation, Right? Not on the basis of the fact that he had the right pedigree. Not on the basis of the fact that his dad happened to be a high priest once. Not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. In other words, Jesus, he defeated death. And because he defeated death, that makes him better. That makes him the best high priest. Now, uh, notice what else he says about the ultimate broker, broker before God. You see, what we need, right, is a priest who can go before God and say, I'm going to keep money on account for you. So that when your account comes due, when God looks at the ledger, it's going to say, enough. Why should you stay? Let's look at the ledger together. First of all, he's a better priest. In verse 17, he's a better priest in part because of this. Verse 17, for it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Mel. Everybody say forever. Have you ever seen the sandlot? Forever. What does forever mean? It means forever. It means always. It means unending. And time after time after time, in these two chapters, as we realize that Jesus is our spiritual broker before God, representing us like nobody else could possibly represent us, what we recognize is that it's forever. It's unending. It is always. Not only in verse 17 does this happen, but look in verse 21. 
He says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Look at verse 28. The very end, he says, appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Unending, always. You know what happens to the other high priests? They die. At the end of their life, they put them in a nice pine box and they put them into the ground. But this doesn't happen for Jesus. He lives the indestructible life, which means that as he sits with God in heaven forever, he will live to be your spiritual broker. And that makes him better. Why in the world should you stay? Because Jesus is a better high priest But as we're looking at this ledger, and as I'm trying to tell you why you should stay, it's not just because Jesus is a better priest. It's because he's a better sacrifice. The irony of the situation is that the priest becomes the perfect sacrifice as well. Look at verse 27 in chapter 7. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifice day after day, first for his own sin and then for the sin of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints a high priest, men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Have you ever noticed that when God makes an oath, we should probably pay attention I mean, like, this is like God saying, I pinky promise that this is going to happen. And when God pinky promises, he does not break his promise. He says this priest is going to be a priest forever, and he is going to be the spiritual broker for you. He is the once for all supreme sacrifice. You know why we don't have to like sacrifice lambs and bulls and, and have an altar covered in blood all the time? Because Jesus becomes the perfect, absolute sacrifice on our behalf so that when we step up, when we die, there's an absolute covering so that when we, God looks at us right now, what he sees is a covering of Jesus' blood. Why should you stay? You should stay because he is the perfect priest. You should stay because he is the better sacrifice. Notice the better that gets better. Look at verse 18 in chapter 7. He is the better priest, he is the better sacrifice, and he is the better hope. The former regulation is set aside because it is weak and it is useless, it is impotent, it is toothless. For the law made nothing perfect. The assumption of the law was sin. And if sin is our starting point, then how can we expect it to make anything better? Notice what it says, verse 19. And a better hope is introduced by which we can draw near to God. You want to draw near to God? You want to come close to who He is? You want to experience the kind of things that only God can do with people's lives? Uh, You want to have a David and Goliath kind of moments in your uh, your own sphere of influence? 
Draw close to God by drawing close to Jesus. Jesus is better, and he offers us a better hope. You want, you want to know what's better than no hope at all? Or you want to know what's worse than no hope at all? What's worse than no hope is false hope. And if you are living some other way, if you are trying to live another way outside of Jesus, you are banking on a false hope. So let me tell you, why should you stay? Why should you enter in? Because Jesus' hope is far better. And it's absolute and it is forever recognize one last thing here. It's better access. Jesus offers far better access uh, than anything that was before or anything that could possibly come after. Uh, Look in uh, verse 22 of chapter 7. In verse 22, he says, because of this oath, there's that oath again. God is promising Jesus has become the guarantee, the guarantor of a better covenant. What does that mean? Covenant is really language of a relationship. Uh, What he's saying is Jesus offers better access. What what if someone came up right now uh, to whatever your favorite artist is, right? Uh, How many of you are country music fans? How many of you are like, um, give me some of the old 80s music? Uh, How many of you are like, uh, I just like going to concerts? How many of you could care less? How many of you, um, if you could have like backstage passes to your favorite sitcom on television, you'd be like, I am on that, right? Let's say that you go to your favorite concert or you had backstage passes uh, to... Uh, to your favorite sitcom on television, and they, they, they offered you like an all-inclusive VIP, uh, you know, uh, you get to eat with the people and like sit down with them and go into their trailer backstage, and it's like, oh, right? I mean, like if we get excited about VIP passes to our favorite concert, you have to understand what is being offered to us in Hebrews. Why in the world should you stay Jesus himself is giving you a VIP pass backstage to be in ministry wherever God happens to be. And he's saying, I am going to give you not only a front row seat, I'm going to let you on the field. You see, the great part about ministry is that God wants us to be a part of it. He's not just going to stand up there as a sovereign God and move the pieces on the chessboard around. He's saying, join me in it. You want to know why you should stay? He offers you better access in relationship to him than anything else could possibly imagine. There is a better hope there. There is a better sacrifice. And he is a better representative than anything you can possibly imagine. If we were put a ledger up here, the better column wins with Jesus. He is better. The ledger says that you don't walk away. You don't walk away because Jesus is better. And I don't want you to lose sight of something dynamic in this passage. I could stand up. We could end the sermon now. We could say, hey, amen, Jesus is better and I'll go home and eat. But this passage is incomplete if I, 
if I don't raise this issue with you, why do we stay? Why is it that we enter in when we feel like walking away? We stay and we enter because Jesus confronts us with his character. We see the character of God unfolding in this passage. Now, something caught my eye in these two chapters as I worked through it. Uh, Look at the end of chapter 4 as we head into chapter 5, verse 16 of chapter 4. Right before chapter 5, right before we hear about Mel, the high priest, he says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? How are we to approach with confidence? So that we may receive mercy. We might find grace to help us in our time of need. What's interesting in that passage is that... uh, The Hebrew writer is unfolding for us the nearness of God. He's saying, hey, God is so near you. He is like you. He was tempted with you in every way. So the kind of struggles that you have, he knows. He identifies with the hardship and the disappointment that you've had in life. And he's saying, Jesus is near. And he helps you in your time of need. But it wasn't just this. It wasn't just the nearness of God that got me here. It was something else. Go back over uh, to verse 25 in chapter 7. He says, Therefore he is able, talking about Jesus, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always, everybody say always, He always lives to intercede for them. Whoa! In one side of the column, we have this nearness of the character of God who says, I can identify with your struggle, I can identify with your disappointment, and I am near you. On the other side of the ledger, we have the transcendent glory of God who's saving people completely. And he says, I will always be there to intercede for you. He completely saves and he consistently always intercedes for us. That is so cool. He is consistent about his work and delivering his people. Now, now, grasp this, okay? Lean in a little. What he's saying here is that salvation is not a one-time event. It's not a walk outside of the baptistry. That Jesus doesn't save us once and then let us go the rest of our lives. But rather, when He changes us from something old to something new, He's consistently with us day after day, moment after moment, like right now, and right now, and right now, Jesus is always interceding for us. He's constantly delivering us, gang. And notice the very next verse. I love this. Don't you love it? I love it. The very next verse, verse 26, he says, Such a high priest does what? Meets 
our needs. He meets our need. Now, I can't guarantee you what exactly that means. I can't say that just because you know Jesus that life's going to be all better roses. But what I can probably say it means is that Jesus in his grand glory and his nearness to you is offering you something that you can't get on your own. So maybe you've come in this morning and you are disappointed and you're disillusioned with the people in the church and maybe God begins to meet your need. Maybe you get sick and you get a card in the mail from someone else who cares about you in this place. Uh, Maybe it is that you're disappointed and disillusioned and, and what you find is that there's a church people who care about the poor in their community and are looking to go and meet that need in the community and you begin to say of God's people, wow, that looks like Jesus. And you say, maybe I should stay. And maybe you're a teenager and you have found the church uh, and yet the church people uh, maybe don't understand the kind of persecution that you face when you're in the cafeteria. And when you are in the cafeteria, you begin to have the courage to say something. And you decide that there's a place here uh, where friends can be a part of Jesus following. And there are social gatherings where we're Kids, just like you, uh, begin to come around the table together and and you begin to say, you know what, Uh, maybe there's something we're staying for. And maybe you're discouraged this morning. And maybe the road has been rough, but someone comes to visit you. And you begin to say, you know, the church is looking a lot like Jesus. Uh, Maybe you've come year after year as a wife and your husband usually doesn't come. And someone in the church who's able to reach your husband invites him in and he comes. Or, Or maybe you have been praying year after year to see fruition in the life of someone next to you or near you and you have prayed Uh, valiantly, year after year, and just about when you think, I'm not going to pray anymore, something happens that God has done in their life, and you go, wow, God, thank you for meeting that need. Maybe you've never seen it before. Maybe you're not a Jesus follower, and you've tried to fill this thing inside of you spiritually over and over and what you're realizing this morning is that you need a spiritual broker. You need someone who can represent you well and you need people to walk with you. And maybe you can have a reason to enter in. Why come? Why stay? Because Jesus is better. And because his character is ironclad. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious God, I thank you uh, just for your word. It speaks to us. Um, I, I just pray for all of us. I pray there would be nothing in us that, that wants to walk away. But I pray, Father, that if there is, that we would stay. And we'd stay because of you. I pray that if we're thinking about going, that we wouldn't go 
because there's people in the church. I pray that we would recognize who you are and stay. I pray, Father, that our character looks like yours. And we pray it all in Jesus' name.